Hello there, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Bourbon Reviews. I hope you enjoyed Episode 1 and are geared up, ready to go for this one as well. Uh, during the month of March, two episodes will be released each Wednesday, and uh, we'll start that on March 2nd. Uh, today here's the release day, I guess, and that'll conclude on March 30th. Shooting for about 15 to 20 minutes per episode, you know, and then that way you can take and, uh, you know, combine them together, and hopefully that takes care of your commute to or from work. Or maybe you listen to, to it while you are out uh, jogging or, or jogging. It might be a soft J. I don't know. I heard it's pretty wild. I heard you just go running, uh, which is interesting. I never really considered doing that, I guess. But, uh, yeah, jogging. So listen to it while you're doing that or whatever else you may be working on. Um, before I get started, though, a quick recap of the previous episode in case you had to listen to one to, um, you know, one and two days apart, or for some reason if you skipped over episode one, which some think is okay, you know, like in the uh, Star Wars movies, but, uh, you know, I personally disagree. I thought Phantom Menace was a fine movie, so I wouldn't go skipping over episode one, you know, personally. But uh, anyway, quick recap, we introduced or reintroduced season two of the show, talked about the Houses of Bourbon framework, uh, we were following for several episodes, and then uh, talked about the corporate owner Beam Suntory, and reviewed Basil Hayden's Toast for the Bourbon of the Week. So that kind of brings you up to speed on this one. We are continuing, continuing, that's evidently a difficult word, a, uh, our Houses of Bourbon research with Sazerac. Okay, so guys, this may come across a shock to you, you know, just like with Beam Suntory, but looking at Sazerac's website here, it would appear as though they are not hurting for the dollar dollar bills. Um, might help that they've been around for a while on their website. Quote says, with almost 400 years of rich history, we have a storied past and an even brighter future. Ah, they seem pretty confident to me, and I have no reason really to doubt them, I guess. Uh, they have a whole timeline. You have to check it out. Get on their website. Looks like they started off with some French roots in the spirit of cognac, which uh, I don't think I've ever have, had, I don't believe. But Or, wait, what's Hennessy? Is Hennessy a cognac? I think it actually might be a cognac. Yeah, I should probably educate myself on that. But, uh, yeah, I remember having Hennessy one time. It wasn't too bad. So if that's cognac... Maybe I should look into that. I guess I don't know what makes it a cognac. I think we've talked about it before, but it, I don't remember. Anyway, they've been around since the 1600s, it would appear, which is pretty cool. Uh, not sure how official all that is. I don't know if they had any paperwork turned in that they were the Sazerac company back then. But that's where the timeline goes. So um, some of their non-bourbon products would include Wheatley and Platinum Vodkas. Uh, Southern Comfort, Canadian Mist, Fireball. Fireball is a very popular one nowadays. I'm not much into cinnamon whiskey, but uh, it's a big one that a lot of people like. Black Magic and Parrot Bay Rums. Uh, those are just to name a few. It says, actually, they have over 450 total brands in the spirits world. So uh, for those of you that can't do math, that's a lot. So kudos to them. But in the bourbon realm, they own two distilleries that we're going to take a look at. Buffalo Trace and Barton. They picked up Buffalo Trace in the early 90s and acquired Barton Brands in 2009. So quite a few whiskeys and bourbons came from those two. So they added quite a few to their old portfolio in the time frame from when I was born until 
I graduated high school, just for a frame of reference there. So, uh, you know, a lot over, you know, 17, 18 years there for them to add to their uh, repertoire. So some Barton products you may have heard of, 10 High. Uh, that one's one you see typically a little bit on the lower shelf. Kentucky Gentleman, very old Barton, and 1792. Some Buffalo Trace products you may know, Ancient Age, uh, Weller, Eagle Rare, Buffalo Trace, Elmer T. Lee, George Stagg, Blanton's, and Pappy Van Winkle. Although I believe Pappy and Weller used to be a part of what was called Stitzel Weller, which is separate altogether, but uh, they're now part of Buffalo Trace. So, um, you know, like I've said before, well, Jim Beam might be the biggest distillery as far as amount sold, having that worldwide market, uh, Buffalo Trace and in combination with Barton, Gives them, in my opinion, a somewhat richer history. Uh, some of the names that came from the Buffalo Trace Distillery alone, Colonel E. H. Taylor, Albert Blanton, Elmer T. Lee, Freddie Johnson, etc. There's a lot There's a lot more. Uh, the Beams are still probably that first family, if you will, because uh, there are Beams and Dang in every corner of the industry. There's, I think there's Beams in the Heaven Hill you know, Distillery. It, it, there's Beams everywhere. you know. Uh, but it's hard to argue with what Sazerac has done with the two distilleries of Buffalo Trace and Barton. Uh, it's hard to argue about their rich history. Uh, of all those products, of which I really thoroughly enjoy so many of them, if I had to pick a top five products from there, oh gosh, looking at that list, I'd probably say no particular order, reference to That's a Good Point podcast, like boing, um, there are no particular order for those of you who listen to that one. I'd probably say Buffalo Trace has got to be in there. It's just a classic, you know, uh, quintessential bourbon. Elmer T. Lee uh, finished as number one on my list last season. For those of you that have listened to that one, I really like that one a lot. George T. Stagg, um, 1792, and then Blanton's, which is the one a lot of people really, you know, are craving to find and will pay some some money for. Uh, I have not had Pappy Van Winkle, so I can't put it in my top five yet. Um, my guess is if ever I'm blessed to try some, it'll probably finish right up there in the top three to five. Although, you know, we've talked about before, there's so much hype that goes into it. You know, will it ever live up to that hype? I don't really know. Uh, it's hard telling. I want it to very badly. I want to like it, uh, and I hope that it doesn't let me down. Uh, but we'll just have to see. So right now, I can't actually put it in my top five because I haven't actually had it. So uh, I have visited the Buffalo Trace Distillery and the Jim Beam one for that matter. Uh, both are top-notch facilities and tours. Please check them out. For that matter, visit the big distilleries and the small craft ones too. We want the industry to continue to improve and grow. Uh, you know, get those products. Bourbon is a great, great spirit to enjoy, and I obviously am promoting it just by having, you know, this podcast and and you know, getting my friends to uh, hopefully enjoy it too. So, um, yeah. Buffalo Trace, hard to argue with, like I said, that rich history of all the people that have been involved there. So now we've given a little bit of a, a background, history, products of Sazerac via the you know, Buffalo Trace and Barton's distilleries. Uh, here is one of their products as the bourbon of the week. This week from Barton is 1792 Small Batch. 
1792 is named for the year Kentucky became a state as an acknowledgement of the importance of the bluegrass state as the birthplace of bourbon. Let's see if we can get the, the opening of the bottle here on the, on the microphone. Oh, did you hear that? Yeah. Got to get some of this here in the old whiskey glass. So, I'll be reviewing that today. Okay. Uh, 1792, located in Bardstown, Kentucky, on 196 acres. Over 50 buildings on the property. Okay. Um, again, like I said, I had visited some of those, uh, you know, Buffalo Trace, Jim Beam. Those have quite a few buildings on their property as well. You know, they're a little more... It, it's, it's interesting... Some of them go with bigger buildings, and but fewer of them, and some go with, you know, a lot more buildings. And Jim Beam, I think, just got a couple different kind of farms, if you will, in a couple different places. Um, Old Foresters, one I visited was like right in the heart of downtown Louisville. Um, so it's interesting to see how some of their setups are, and obviously they have other locations, I'm sure, that don't necessarily, you know, go where the, or the tour doesn't necessarily go to them, but... Uh, obviously, got to have a lot of places to store all the barrels and everything. Um, but here we go. Let's give this one a review. Uh, but first, if you'll recall, the 1792 bottled and bond finished in my personal top 10 towards the end of season one. So, reminder about bottled and bond, 100 proof, at least four years old, set, you know, federally bonded warehouse, etc., etc. Whole idea with bottled and bond was to make sure to protect what bourbon was and is um you know so this one is the small batch slightly lower proof of 93.7 or 46.85 percent alcohol uh let's see here let's see what it says on the back so it says named in honor of the year kentucky joined the united states 1792 small batch bourbon is made from a marriage of a few select barrels carefully chosen by our master distiller this refined bourbon elevates kentucky distilling to exceptional new heights, celebrated by whiskey connoisseurs worldwide, the subtleties of 1792 make it incomparably brash and bold, yet smooth and balanced. Very nice. So, yeah, it's um, marketed as a high rye bourbon. We don't really know the exact mash bill or percentage. So, let's see if we can pick up on any of that when we go in for the nose and for the taste and the finish. So, here we go, on the nose. Definitely get some of that rye spice. Definitely get more of the vanilla here, but it almost, the vanilla kind of seems a little, I don't know, funky, a little funky vanilla. Like, I, I don't know, maybe it's not vanilla. It's just, it's something different. Hmm. So it smells kind of interesting. Okay, I've had this one before, but never really reviewed it, you know, thought it through, just sort of enjoyed it, you know. So let's go for the taste. Give it that old Kentucky chew, as Fred No would say from Jim Beam. You know, kind of swish around your mouth. Get it to kind of coat the palate. Going for another one here. That funky vanilla sticks around. But I'll tell you what else I get, and I've always enjoyed about this, and I think it comes out even more in the bottled and bond, is that like dark fruit note. I don't know what it is, like a dark, you know, like a, a darker cherry or some sort of like, I don't know, 
it it's it's different. I really, really, really enjoy it. Um, and I, it just because I think for some reason it just comes across as different to me than some of those some of the other bourbons we have from Kentucky. And I, I don't get me wrong, I I like all those too. But this dark fruit note is just kind of a, a refreshing difference, I guess. And on that finish, that dark fruit note hangs around a little bit. But slowly kind of gives way to that oaky aftertaste. If you guys have listened to me before, you know that on that, you know, exhale, I always seem to get a little bit of that oakiness, that spice. And, you know, again, i pretty sure that's what I'm picking up on. Maybe this time it's the rye spice, too, because, like I said, it's marketed as a high rye bourbon. But um, as you might have guessed, just in listening to me give this review, and like I said, I've got high praise for the bottled and bond, uh, this one here... Uh, you know, that smell might throw some people off, but you got to go in for the taste and that finish and then go back and smell it again. And you understand where that smell comes from. And it's um, that you'll call that funky vanilla. You know, I, it's not like your traditional vanilla. You know, it's something weird about it, but I, I kind of dig it. So I'm going to give this one a hashtag so good stamp of approval. And uh, yeah, definitely pick this one out. You know, pick this one up if you're out and about. Um, you know, whether you're at you know, Walmart, wall to wall, your local uh, liquor stores, make sure and get this one because uh, to me, uh, I don't remember exactly what I paid for this. I've had this bottle for a little while and it's getting kind of low, so I'm going to have to replenish it here. But uh, yeah, I think it's probably worth the price to me anyway. Uh, I, I don't think it's above 40 and at that rate, I think it's well worth pickup. So uh, yeah, hopefully, again, you've enjoyed uh, your time listening to the second episode of Season 2 of Bourbon Reviews here. Uh, looking at my recording time. Yeah, getting close to that 14-minute mark. Once I add in a little music and whatnot, it'll go up a little bit. But hopefully between this and Episode 1, you were able to kind of fill some time up and uh, educate yourself on two of our houses of bourbon. Uh, as we look to next week, we're going to look at Heaven Hill and Brown Foreman. So if you want to do a little research on those ahead of time, and uh, see if I talk about anything on those or, you know, when I post about the, that episode, make sure and uh, comment some things you might have picked up on what you found about Heaven Hill and Brown Foreman. Uh, like I said, this is going to be about a seven-episode series, the Houses of Bourbon, and then we'll finish out with a few episodes here at the end of Season 2 about a couple different other topics. But, of course, until next time, may you always enjoy a bourbon that is so good. <laughs>